0: Welcome to Language Made Difficult, a vivacious part of the Specgram podcast. I'm Trey Jones, and this Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium is coming to you from our virtual conference center hosted via satellite uplink from a vanilla plantation in the Seychelles. Joining me today are the rest of the Ling nerds Keith Slater. Great to be with you. Sherry Wells Jensen. Hello there. And Bill Sproul. Hey. Also joining us again on the program is Aya Katz. Welcome back, Aya. Thanks for visiting with us again. Thank you. Uh, Clearly, you didn't learn your lesson last time. All right. So let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. As usual, I've got three language-related items. Two are true, one is false. One more time for Sherry. Two are true, and one is false.
1: Two are true.
0: Which two? (laughs) You guys have to figure out what's what, and then... After you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss. So our theme for today is who has how many of what? Part three. Item number one, the Australian language yidin has only five adverbs. Do quickly, finish off, do to all of a set of objects, try to do, and do all around. Item number two, the extinct language Tunica, spoken in Louisiana, had only two conjunctions, and not, and exclusive or. Item number three, the Senegalese language Wolof has no adjectives. Who'd like to go first? Me, me, me. All right, Keith? Okay, the first one, Yedinia, has only
2: five adverbs. Ah, the adverb, the most helpful of all (laughs) linguistic terms, isn't it? this one I'm going to say is false. I mean, the list is probably more or less true, except I think it's missing an adverb that means something like to do exactly once. So I think probably, uh, you know, this is more or less true, but it's missing one adverb. <laughs> and as to the other two, Junica had only two conjunctions. I thought the, the meanings are interesting. There's an and, not, and there's an exclusive or. They've got only sort of adversative meanings, right? It sounds like a, a very difficult bunch of people, and it's no wonder there aren't a lot of speakers left. And then Senegalese language Wolof has no adjectives. Very common. Lots of languages have no adjectives, so that was certainly true. So, yeah, I'm going to go with number one as false.
0: Okay, who's next? Bill? I'll give it a go.
2: The
3: Australian language only having five adverbs... I am willing to believe, partly because it's an issue of how you define adverbs, and also partly because it's an Australian language, it could probably build them into the pronouns somehow. (laughs) And that's where all the other ones are. (laughs) The extinct language having only the and, not an exclusive or, that one is also making me suspicious, simply because I can't figure out how you would get by without an and. You know, and not is useful, but how else do you do an and?
2: A lot of languages have no and.
3: I'm also kind of wondering when it went extinct, because it could be one of these things we suspect Trey of always, where it's when it went extinct, the area had never been called Louisiana. <laughs> uh, Number three, the Senegalese language Wolof has no adjectives. I am going to say that one's true for the same reason that Keith already mentioned, which is tons of languages have no adjectives. And so I'm quite willing to believe that. So I'm saying number two is the false one.
0: All right. uh, I think Sherry should go next so we can let our guest go last and have the benefit of all of your wisdom.
2: (laughs) And your bald face hinting too, right? (laughs) Sherry? So
1: wisdom was the word you're using there, right? Wiz- mm-hmm. Wisdom, wisdom, <laughs> right. I didn't know that I was going to be called upon for wisdom. Um, <laughs> let's see. So I'm willing to buy the lack of adjectives. That's not a problem. That's okay. That's fine. We've got books about that, right? Even I might have a book about that. Not that I've read it, mind you, but I have the book. <laughs> and the five adverbs, you said an Australian language. I'm okay with that because it's an Australian language. And that lack of adverb, I feel like one and three are a nice little set. And they also, that seems fine to me. But I personally need an and. I really do. And see, I need one. And I don't know, I don't even know how I would answer this question if I couldn't say and, because I need to make run-on sentences. And I don't know. And, and besides, it's an extinct language. I'm suspicious of that. I think that's what Trey does when he's making stuff up. He just says, well, it's an extinct language. So you can say anything you want. So that one, I think, is the lie. And I, I'm only choosing one lie, right? It's two truths yeah. <laughs> and one lie. And if that's the way the game is played this time, because I think you change it sometimes, Trey. I really do. I think sometimes it is two lies just just to make me crazy. But if that's the way we're going, I say it's number two. I say that there are two truths and one lie. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Okay. Aya?
1: Okay. I tend to agree with everybody that number three,
4: uh, language can have no adjectives quite easily because you could have verbs doing that job. I don't have a problem with a language has only exclusive or and not inclusive or. That seems quite reasonable. If you're only going to have one or, exclusive or makes sense. It's logical. But on the other hand, and not, it's a strange combination. I guess I would say that two is probably false.
0: Well, I don't need to give you any hints then. (laughs) <laughs> she got it, did she? Yep. Number two is, in fact, the one that is not true. Why can you just stick another knot after your and knot? The cat and not, not the dog. I think that's perfectly reasonable. But no, those are nice, cool, logical operators, but I don't think any language would turn out to have those. And the other two are true. Wolof has no adjectives, and Yudinya has just five adverbs, whatever an adverb might be. <laughs> Looking at the scores. <laughs> Let's just move on. Why, Keith? Why?
1: (laughs) It's
4: becoming
0: more
1: and more painful.
0: So Keith has valiantly moved into last place with one out of six. Selflessly. Selflessly, yes, indeed. Our guests are now two out of six. Sherry's two out of four. And Bill and I are tied at four out of six. All right, so that's enough of lies, damn lies, and linguistics. We'll be right back after this commercial. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by... People for the Ethical
2: Treatment of Functionalists. Functionalists. Without your help, they don't know what anything means. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. In the news today is an opinion piece by Bruce Price that appeared in the Canada Free Press. The editorial is entitled, Is English a Phonetic Language? Of course, 100%. Well, to sum up, this is if I understand Price's argument, which is brief. His argument is that English spelling allows you to recover the sounds of English words with 100% accuracy. Sure, there's lots of inconsistencies in how individual sounds are spelled out, but once you've learned the system and the exceptions, you've got a, quote, 100% phonetic writing system. Well, okay, let's be clear up front. This article is not really about language, is it? It's about education, and unfortunately, those don't seem to be related topics. But still, as linguists, we are obligated to respond to this incursion onto our turf, right? So what do you think, folks? Is the price right? Is English 100% phonetic, or is this just another utterly inept appropriation of linguistic terminology?
0: trade. (laughs) He's not right. He's not even wrong. (laughs) It is, in fact, a total misappropriation of linguistic terminology. He's got framework psychosis. He's got to be in his bonnet about teaching phonics. And he's bringing in this quasi-linguistic notions to make himself sound smart. And he's confusing phonemic orthography with phonetic language. And I don't know, he's just making stuff up. While reading about this, though, I did learn of an interesting new concept called orthographic depth, which is a subjective measure, but it's about how phonemic an orthography is. So English is relatively deep because the orthography doesn't really reflect pronunciation very well. And for example, Italian is relatively shallow. So that's the concept he should have been working with, but it doesn't matter. He says English is 100% phonetic while he just kept bringing up examples and tossing them aside of a lack of a one-to-one correspondence between writing and pronunciation. So I don't know what he means by phonetic because he just says it's true and then brings up examples that seem to contradict his point and then keeps going.
2: Well, those are the exceptions. And he says, sure, there's exceptions, but you learn the exceptions, and then they're not exceptions anymore. You've learned how they correspond to the phonetics, right? Isn't that what he
0: meant? I don't even know what that means.
4: <laughs> I thought what he meant was that he was going to prove that English has no phonology.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been useful. <laughs> that would have been awesome.
4: Go <laughs> you know, directly from the sound to the morphological level, something like that.
2: That sounds like stratificational linguistics, doesn't it? No, no, no. There was some. There was another stratum in there somewhere. It would have been awesome if he could have proven that English has no phonology. But I don't think he's trying to do that. I think he's trying to prove that his way of teaching people to read is better than anything anybody else could come up with.
4: Well, you know, in that, I think he's a little bit remiss in not making the distinction between how hard it is for a reader as opposed to how hard it is for a writer. Because mm-hmm. while it is true that... Just about anybody who can sound out a word can eventually figure out what it says on any particular page simply by knowing the language. It's very, very hard, on the other hand, for someone who understands the basic mechanism of sounding out to decide how to spell correctly if he's writing.
0: Right. I think Andrew Jackson is claimed to have said, it's a damn poor mind that can only think of one way to spell a word.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I was actually thinking of a contemporary of Andrew Jackson. I was thinking of Jean Lafitte, who in his 1816 letter to President James Madison, misspelled quite a number of words, including sentiment, which he spelled with a C, Hmm. apprehension, which he for some reason thought started with an H. And the word funds, you know, referring to money, funds, he spelled it as F-U-N-S. You know, you could argue that if you actually went and read his letter, which I have, that it's perfectly comprehensible, even if he did misspell all those words. So what does it matter? But the thing is, he was asking President Madison to give him his money back. And since he didn't spell the words right, he did not get his money back.
2: (laughs) It really all boils down to sociolinguistics, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm afraid so.
1: Aren't we sick of this whole orthography thing yet? I really, at some point, everybody just has to get together, hold hands, and pitch it out the nearest window, because aren't we tired of it? I mean, we're, we've been having this argument for a really long time, and if we just let go of it and spell the way we want to, just think of the glorious freedom we could all have.
4: I have a counterproposal proposal because we don't want to throw out all our books. The problem isn't really that the words are not spelled the way they're pronounced. It's that they're not pronounced the way they're spelled. So, uh, we just yes. Yeah. We just start pronouncing it that way and within one generation you'll have yourself a phonetic writing system.
0: So some people have already started with often. Exactly. <laughs> we just need to go from there. Hmm. We just need to carry that to its logical conclusion. Yeah.
3: Well, I've noticed in the area I live in in the Midwest, all of the local speakers have turned forehead into forehead. So they seem to be on this bandwagon already.
4: Mm-hmm. Maybe another, what,
1: hundred years? do you mean forehead there,
3: Phil? That's true. It should be forehead.
1: Forehead, yes.
3: Yeah.
1: That's even yeah. better. Foray-had.
4: And yep. of course, 222 two, two is tall, t-o, to, and extra long, to.
0: <laughs> I think you just accidentally spoke some Japanese. <laughs> Now she I mean, moved towards no, wait, so recreating we- Old English. <laughs> mm. Well, that's what got us into this mess. Middle English, at least.
1: We'll have to get our vowel links back and we'll have to get some new dip songs. It won't be so bad.
0: How do you guys want to pronounce O U G H? We're going to need a new
2: phoneme there. <laughs> Algaha. Alga. Oh Alga. 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 That's a preaspirated T, I think, isn't it?
0: I didn't actually mean with the T on the end, but that's a perfectly fine example. If you don't know, Dr. Seuss, before he was Dr. Seuss, did a cartoon with a big muscular guy plowing a field that was all wobbly, and it was called The Tough Coughs As He Plows the Dough, Mm -hmm. which is just the truly horrible set of examples of O-U-G-H being so, so messy in English. And there it is. So you guys want that to be the the Tough Coughs As He Ploughs the Dough?
4: Yeah, I like that.
0: (laughs) I think I just accidentally spoke Klingon.
4: It would spread a lot of stars, though.
3: <laughs> but I would point out that if you're actually doing this correctly, it wouldn't have a huh. It would have a G. Yeah, but I can't do that. So it would be things like plow g. Oh, you want to get rid of all the digraphs? Well, that's how they're spelled. There's a G and an H. It should be so, a so G. You're, huh.
4: So you're gonna what are you gonna do with T H? Yeah.
3: Better get a yep, different and, microphone and, C-H is, and notice, the effect of this is not just to make spelling transparent. It's to make things sound a little more like Indo-European, yet not kill us. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm just excited about my name becoming Sahari. I think that'll be cool.
0: <laughs> would it be, or would it be Sahari, since you spell it with an I?
5: No, because that would be A-I then. I think we have to do sort of the Latin vowels, I think. So Sahari, right. right. yeah.
0: All
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: So we count one, two, three.
5: Long E there. Four four,
0: four. four. and four. Five. Okay.
5: Oh, and six.
0: Six. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh.
5: And I got.
0: <laughs> I think you, you skipped saving. Oh, but...
2: saving. That's because it's
0: boring. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right.
2: Well, I'm not sure we've solved any of the questions about education. But we have decided that phonetic English would be awesome. (laughs) But we've certainly decided that the English spelling system is not really being utilized to its full potential. So I think that's another place where uh, research grants are probably just hanging around out there waiting for us to apply for them.
4: Department of Education.
2: Department of Education grants are almost certainly just hanging. They're like low-hanging fruit waiting for Mm. us to come along with some other invective against both whole-word and phonic education approaches. And we'll need a new name for our way of doing things that makes us sound modern or something.
3: Well, we just mash them together and call it whole-grain phonics. (laughs) 50% <laughs>
2: 50% more fiber.
3: Regardless of what we do, I would just point out that we can actually combine research programs because very little ensures public compliance with a language policy proposal like giant robots.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you mean Giant, Giant, Giant robot.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly.
5: Oh, where's the stress going to go, you guys? This is a problem. We should regularize the stress while we're at this, because really... Actually, okay, I can to tone. Oh, no, we're not doing tone. No tone. Forget it. No. No, tone. no, 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 no. <laughs> I did them in the wrong order. No, 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 no.
2: That was pretty good.
5: Thanks, I'm working on it. I mean, tahankes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: there was an epithetic schwa in there.
4: Yeah, I noticed that too. I don't think
0: your pronunciation is very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. Okay. I got to work on it. So I guess we still need phonology, for like a, as a transitional drug, until we get this all worked out.
2: Uh-huh. <sighs> but I think yeah, getting rid of phonology them. should be one of our goals.
5: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know, after reading this and uh, the lovely discussion that we're having, I feel we should maybe take back some of the bad things we've said in the past about physicists who do linguistics. Because at least it wasn't this bad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, this person isn't doing linguistics. He's doing education, and that's an utterly, utterly different enterprise, unrelated to linguistics.
0: Okay, but he didn't appropriate our terminology.
2: He appropriated our terminology, and I think he means something by it, but it's certainly not what we would have meant. Okay, well, I guess that's all the deep insights we're going to be able to recover from this article, or at least from the discussion of it. So I think it's time now for a commercial
0: break. Language Made Difficult is not brought to you by the Linguistic Society of America, the Language Creation Society, the Chicago Linguistic Society, nor the International Linguistic Association. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. We've got a new segment today called What Linguists Notice About the World, in which we will discuss a few odd y observations we've made or read about that we want to share with our listeners. Now, I've always maintained that studying linguistics damages your brain, or maybe hacks your brain, and installs a linguistic evaluation loop that processes everything you say or hear. This is one of the reasons why linguists have no social skills. Anyway, the goal of this discussion is to add new filters into that evaluation loop, by making you aware of things you may not have noticed on your own, and thus generally making you even more aware of the imminent downfall of the English language. A classic example of this kind of thing is positive anymore. So back in the day, uh, you could only say that something wasn't the case anymore. But then, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, people started saying anymore when, to me, they would have used nowadays. And so nowadays, this isn't the case anymore. Or as the youngins might say, anymore you don't really need nowadays. A more recent example that I really like, and this is one that will blow your mind if you haven't heard it before, and that's this weird little, I don't even know what to call it, Uh, people say, yeah, no, almost like it's one word, Mm. Uh, and this is one of my favorite recent examples, and it really highlights the sort of contagious nature of language. One day, I didn't even know it existed, and the next day, I discovered that I, in fact, use it, and so do a lot of the people I hang out with. Wow. It was surprising, yeah. The meaning's kind of slippery, but the best explanation... I've been able to come up with is that you use it when you're sort of agreeing with what someone has said, but disagreeing with an implication of what they're saying. So a good example is when someone says something like, thanks for doing that for me. I know it was a lot of hard work. And they're sort of maybe implying that it was a burden or it was too much to ask. And then a person might reply, yeah, no, it was no big deal. And so they're agreeing that it was in fact a lot of work, but they're rejecting the idea that it was too much work.
2: So they're uh, rejecting one of the presuppositions or one of the implications?
0: Um... Hmm. I think it's a it's an implication, yeah. Mm. But what's weird is that now that I've said this, some people at least will suddenly start hearing it everywhere. I have to go back and listen to this podcast carefully and see how many times one or more of us used it. By the way, Trey, mm-hmm.
3: when you said you didn't know what to call it, mm-hmm. it's a particle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's an adverb or an adverb. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: an adverb. <laughs> only an
0: adverb. So, have any of you guys heard this "yeah/no" thing? Or you're the only one that hears things.
4: Yeah, I have heard it.
0: Do you use it? No. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) Well,
4: perhaps when I'm hypnotized, but no, I've I've heard (laughs) other people use it.
2: I think I've heard it too, and I think that I may even use it, but I'm not sure.
0: So, Keith, you had another good example?
2: Yeah, the thing that I've noticed, you know how there's an infinite possible number of sentences, right? But then there's certain things that you just never say, like, those herrings made me scream and scream. And one (laughs) of the things that I've noticed that people started saying a lot, that they there was a first time when this was said, and it was pretty recently, is things like, I'm on the bus. So I live in a city where I take a lot of public transportation, and I often hear people say, I'm on the bus. Because they're talking on their cell phone to someone who doesn't know they're on the bus. But pre-cell phones, it's difficult to conceive of the context, except where, you know, you're yelling to somebody across the road, Hey, 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 Bill, I'm over here on the bus, right? But otherwise, you never needed to tell anybody you were on the bus, because (laughs) if you were talking to them, they were on the bus too, right? And the most extreme example that I've heard people say is, I'm in the elevator, which you can't say, (laughs) except on a cell phone, right? Those are totally new sentences that have emerged in English. Or other languages.
4: Well, I was just going to say that I could construct a situation prior to cell phones. It would be very unusual, but it would be sort of like somebody saying, "They are never going to let you board this bus." Okay, so he goes on the bus, and the other person gets on the bus, and he says, "I'm on the bus."
2: Right. That's right. But I think that's a different use of on. So that's not the same
0: sentence. Mm. That's that's active on. Well, the key thing here, though, is that now you'll be listening for these weird things that people say when they're on their phone, and realize no one would ever say that in a face-to-face. Talking on the cell phone. That's right. Yep, Yep. Exactly.
5: I had a different one, but it occurs to me that there's another way that cell phones have really wrecked my communication, and actually have made it quite difficult for me to communicate. Well, even more difficult than it used to be. It's that thing where you have your cell phone and you have caller ID, and so I still have this urge to say hello, but then. If I say hello in the person's name, then they get sort of startled, like I wasn't supposed to know. There is this myth that you're supposed to pick up the phone not knowing who it is.
1: <laughs>
5: maybe this is just me, but it's it's really difficult for me to answer my phone now because I'm never quite sure. If that person doesn't know that I have caller ID, and I guess this, is, this problem is maybe just going to go away, it's sort of weird when you call someone and they go, hello, Sherry, and I, and I think, ah! How did you know? <laughs> like, are you watching me? What? How do you know that it's me? And so I think it just gets more and more difficult to know what it is you're supposed to
0: say. I don't know what the right answer is, but it's really funny when people think they know who's calling, but you have borrowed somebody else's phone.
2: Mm, yes. <sighs> and they say, hi, I'm on the bus. <laughs>
0: So what you need to do, <laughs> what we all need to do now is when, when somebody calls and you have caller ID and you know who it is, you say, hello, Keith, you're on the bus. <laughs> Eventually, you'll be right.
5: <laughs> well, if you GPS maybe, you know, you could know that,
2: right? Mm. <laughs> or you could play with their mind by using the wrong name, you know, so if I my phone rings and it's, it's Sherry calling, I could say, hi, Bill, when I pick up the phone, just to see how Sherry reacts. Oh, Yeah. I think people do that to me.
5: (laughs) Well, we do sort of pass the cell phone around our house a little bit, and it it can be a little bit odd sometimes when you think you know who it is. And I, you know, greet my spouse as I might greet my, you know, nine-year-old. It's just kind of weird.
0: It happens for us when either my wife or I are in the car, and since you're not supposed to talk on the cell phone in the car, we'll hand the phone to the kid who's in the car and tell them Mm -hmm. to call. Mm Mm-hmm. And now that my kids are teenagers, sometimes you can't tell who answered the phone. Yes. Because they have sort of grown-up voices now. If they just say hello, or if you call the car, that's it. If you call the car and the kid answers the phone, you don't always realize who you're talking to.
5: But it's cut off this whole level of civility. So now people call my office and they no longer say, hi. Hi, Sherry. It's da 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 How are you? They just start talking because they assume that the greeting ritual has already been accomplished by the machine. It's sad.
0: Efficient. It's efficient.
5: It's sad.
0: It's sadly efficient.
5: I like to waste <laughs> a little more time than that during my day. I really do.
0: So you had another example, Sherry?
5: Oh, my other example was also from my children. So some of their suffixes are breaking loose and becoming free morphemes. So "ish" is the one that I've noticed recently because she can yep. say, "I'll do that for you." "Ish." Yep. Or wow. it, the pause doesn't even have to be there. She said, "Well, I can do that." "Ish."
0: Really? No pause?
5: No, no pause. I can do. No, I've not. Ish. Oh. The pause doesn't have to be there. It can, but it doesn't
4: have to.
2: Okay. What does it mean in that context? Because I've heard it, but not that.
4: It multiplies the entire clause, I would think.
2: It's a particle. Yeah. It's an adverb. Hey, hey, hey. It's an
0: approximative it particle. <laughs> it means this is almost a part of speech?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was thinking about this. Uh, the ish. Now, what's interesting is that for me, I've seen it both written and heard it spoken, and written it has a dash the phrasal-ish has a dash, and then when it's spoken, it has a pause. And I think it means there's a less accurate mapping onto the thing it modifies. So reddish and red-ish are, you would expect less redness from something that was red-ish.
5: Mm-hmm. I always think it was just a, 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 how much I believed it, sort of a veracity marker. This is sort of <laughs> dubious. Or maybe she's not really, maybe she's not really telling me the truth. She says, I can do that-ish means that, She'll do it sometime or when she gets around to it, or maybe not.
4: Actually, I think Turkish does have an evidential that is ish or something rather similar to Mish,
2: it. Ish, I think. Oh, Mish. ish. You're right. You're right. It's German. But this this could easily be a borrowing. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Teenagers speak Turkish.
1: There you now go.
5: Know. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad to have that straightened out. <laughs>
3: You know that teenage thing where they start talking incredibly rapidly? It's just agglutination.
2: Anyway, this is actually interesting from a theoretical point of view because, you know, at one time people believed that grammaticalization was irreversible, but actually you can strip off bound morphology and make it independent. And there are other examples, but it's, it's interesting to run into them because
0: there aren't many. Well, it's because, see, linguistics really should all be statistical, and so the reason people thought it was a rule is because statistically it's almost a rule. Yeah, that's right.
2: But the functionalists will
4: tell you that a single counterexample does not disprove a rule.
0: Right, because it's statistical. Yeah, exactly. So I'm okay with that. Everything's math.
4: Unless
5: I need it to for my paper, and then it does.
0: Well, that's different. <laughs> yes, that's a different linguistic context. a sort of a meta-linguistic context. And the rules are very different there. Yeah. And yeah, the statistics thanks. can also be very different there. <laughs> P-values? We don't need no stinking P-values. <laughs>
4: uh, speaking of statistics, I have that word random. Mm. You know, I don't actually speak to very many humans. Most of my conversations are with chimpanzees. But then the humans I do speak to, that they use the word random in an unusual way that doesn't seem to have anything to do with statistics. Someone might say, so-and-so's name is George. And they'd say, George, that's a random name. And I'm not sure what that means. Do you know what wow. it means, right?
0: I've read about this, and people – uh people, they aren't really people, they're teenagers. There was a, a time period when I read about this where – Turks. There, there was a, a – Turkish teenagers, right? There was a, a rise in the use of random, and people – teenagers picking adjectives to describe themselves would describe themselves as random. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's – it seems to be this sort of mix of – unique and anti-authoritarian, but I'm really, really not sure. Maybe it's just been too long since I was a teenager.
2: I use random a little bit like that. I use random to mean something like I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh. Wait, make a sentence, Keith. I can't. I have this deep sense that that's the way I use it. (laughs) And, And next time we record, I will have an example.
3: Well, it could be used in the sense of sort of denoting that something's surprising. So you're walking around with your expectations, which are normally fulfilled, and then you have something that breaks out of those expectations. And I have heard something like, well, that was kind of random.
0: Yeah, I've I've used it that way.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. But I can see easily how that would develop towards a kind of positive quality term for someone who isn't just fitting a mold, right, that they do surprising things.
2: Yeah, but I think I use it when correcting children don't speak to me in that random way. I'm not exactly that, but something along those lines, you know, and what I mean is that's not appropriate.
3: And you have just explained why it has picked up a positive connotation for teenagers. <laughs>
2: exactly. exactly. It's your fault. My kids aren't teenagers yet, <laughs> but when they are, they'll use it that way.
3: <laughs> it's like telling them, don't do that. It's bad. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, Exactly the
5: really sad thing about all this is now I'm going to go do field work yet again on my children. And I mean, that's another reason why linguistics is so bad. The amount of therapy my children are going to need because I'm their mom. <laughs> <Really>.
2: <laughs> have you well, run that by your uh, institutional review board?
5: We don't talk about that. I
2: about see.
1: <laughs>
3: I have noticed two sort of trends. One of them's. Kind of very very limited, but still interesting. The other is very general. The very limited one is that people describing effects of economic policy. It seems to me like about eight months ago I started seeing them all start using the verb "immiserate," Hmm. meaning to plunge a group into a state of misery. And that's a perfectly good verb. I mean, it that is in fact a proper use of the verb. It's just before that I had. Hardly ever seen that verb anywhere, and then suddenly several different columnists were using it. And it's sort of like somebody used uh, My guess is somebody used it somewhere. And other people were going, yeah, that's exactly the right word. And they started using it, too. Another possibility is once I noticed it, then I noticed all the other examples
0: and it was there all the time. But that's much less interesting. (laughs) Do you think they started using it because it was exactly the right meaning or because, ooh, shiny? Well, there's that. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell, but it is an
3: apt word for what they're using it for. It's just Mm -hmm. that it suddenly seemed to spring out of the dustbin of fossilized words and Mm -hmm. come to life again, you know, and start skittering around. So I think that's kind of interesting. The other general trend, and this is something that seems almost population-wide among speakers and contradicts what you'd expect based on the amount of background noise that modern society gives us is that English speakers are not speaking nearly as loudly as they did, like, 20 or 30 years ago. And the ones with higher-pitched voices don't seem to be getting overtones in the top part of their vocal range as much as they used to. Really? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Is there some observer bias involved here?
3: (laughs) mumble a lot too but uh (laughs) i'm putting that down to their use of texting because if they're texting each other rather than speaking you have the whole separate issue of of spelling causing problems but it's not like you have to talk very loudly or anything i mean you're texting those letters are either there or they're not right
5: you know, it's funny. I, I suspect that that sort of co-occurs with all the staircases getting steeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need that grant because I think, What I don't I don't get it, but I, I think it does correlate. Yeah, I
3: think that's just to save money because the risers on the stairs, it's like the number of stairs correlates with the cost somehow. So they just up the grade on them and you get like one fewer step, but they're all a little bit higher. Huh. It's just cost-cutting.
4: <laughs> that must be it. It is cost,
5: too, with the deal where they pack more calories into the same food.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, you
5: you know, you eat the same thing, but, you know, it affects you differently. Because I guess it, it's cost-cutting.
3: Yeah, that, that would... I just put it down to the corn sugar and everything.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, it's the low-fat. They make everything low-fat, so...
0: And they take out all the flavor calories when they do that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> Uh, I wanted to go back, Bill, to your example of immiserate. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you sort of assumed that it had been a fossilized word that was picked up again because it was shiny or whatever. But isn't it quite just as possible that it was rederived and it really was shiny? You know,
3: I would agree with that except for the I prefix on it because given modern corporate jargon, I would expect people to make up something like miseritate (laughs) or or miserize. Miserationalize.
5: No, it it means make sad because you have a phone. It's I miserate. That's what it is. It's (laughs) I miserate,
3: exactly. That's right. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, I'm waiting for it to spread farther just so we can, you know, we can have a scene in a movie where the guy that's got the opera cape and the mean, the merciless thing going is going to say immediately immiserate them, you know, or something along those lines. It's gonna flow with that. Activate the immiseration beam.
5: (laughs) It's on the robot, right? The robot has that.
3: Yes. Modulo Votangus commands it.
0: I jumped real quick on the Google Ingram viewer to look up Immiserate, and their data only goes up to 2008, so it doesn't...
2: Doesn't show up at all.
0: No, it, it started rising in the 80s and peaked mm. in 1999.
2: Mm, Bill is a generation behind.
3: <laughs> I think I am due some credit for exposing a
0: weakness in Google Ingrams viewer. <laughs> I said it, it doesn't only go up to 2008, so we have to wait a few years to see what happens. And these are only books, of course, so... Right. Right, so... There are lots of problems with the Google Ingram Viewer, but I was shocked to see there's a total flat line from 1800, little blip in the 1950s, and then in the early 70s it starts rising and really took off in the 80s.
4: Oh, so it goes with inflation?
3: <laughs> Might quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Although with the 50s, it could just be Wonder Bread.
2: <laughs> yeah, what does it happen when Twinkies go off the scene? Oh, sad. They don't go off the
3: scene. That's the problem Twinkies <laughs> had. <laughs> They keep forever, so they, and no one really eats them. The problem they had was they manufactured the maximum number of Twinkies anybody would ever want.
5: <laughs> and now we just trade them? Is that the deal? Yeah. No, that's fruitcake.
0: <laughs> uh, are they susceptible to re gifting? <laughs> well, I think there's a difference because there's actually only one fruitcake in existence, uh. and it just gets passed around. A lot. I've seen multiple Twinkies in one place. (laughs) Have you consumed multiple Twinkies? Not at one sitting, no. Really? I guess we've strayed a little bit off topic, so this is a good place to stop. And that's all the time we have for Language Made Difficult. Thanks again to our guest, Aya Katz, for hanging out with us again. And join us next time when we discuss ways to improve your grammatical mood when your vowels are feeling low.
1: If you drop an accordion and a banjo off of a tower, which one hits the ground first? Who cares? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those herring made me scream and scream. E-a-way, a-way, a-way, e-a-way, a-way. Other people feel
2: free to disagree with Trey, because he could be wrong, and he usually is.
0: The Australian language... Y- uh, who picks these names? Yidiny. Yidiny. There we go. Yedinye? Yidiny, right? Yedinye. Um, Yidiny. No
2: one can say words like that. I
5: couldn't decide if I was just being really brilliant and you guys were just in awe or if I was being really stupid and you guys were in awe. trace.
2: sources are all equally
0: reliable, so just, you know. (laughs) I see.
2: Which article were we
3: talking
0: about? (laughs) I only use R right now to make random things (laughs) for (laughs) Specgram. Right now I'm just in it for the pretty pictures.
5: Well, Python's got all that white space and oh, stuff. Oh,
0: yeah, that's wrong. I don't use Python. Python's. I can't take any language seriously that where are white is part of the language. I don't have to think. It just, I will pearl into being. <laughs> it just comes out because I've been yeah. doing this so long. I think we drifted. <laughs> it's okay.
2: <laughs> like semantics. <laughs>